Okay. Today our lesson is going to be called Worthy. Is anybody worthy? Wow, we sang that song today. Is anybody worthy? No. Who's worthy? Nobody. Only Jesus is worthy. But He makes us worthy when we partake of His grace and get born again, be part of the family. That His grace is what makes us worthy. And we are worthy because He died on the cross to make us worthy. That's the big deal. Now, today we're going to be in Luke. <clears throat> um, I thought I had it marked, but I don't. Uh, Luke chapter 17. Y'all want to turn there? Uh, in this uh, in this lesson, we're going to be talking about uh, really about how the Lord deals with fallen humanity, because He uh, encountered a lot of people who, in during these two chapters, that they thought they were righteous. That you could attain righteousness before God without God's grace. And I don't think the Lord ever got it over to them. He spoke it to them, but a lot of it was hidden from them at that time. But we're going to go through it. Uh, starting in verse uh, 1 of chapter 17, it says, Then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. Now you know we're all we're all familiar with offenses. That's when one 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 person offends another one. It does something that they don't like, or says something that they don't like, or two people get in an argument and they wind up having a falling out and going their separate ways. You know, it just it's just an endless scenario. You know, then both of them go out and they badmouth the other one to a bunch of other people, and it just it just mushrooms. You know, and the Lord said it's impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they come. Because when we walk in darkness, we do stuff like that, it's, it's, it's bad. And he says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than if he should offend one of these little ones. Have you ever been offended when you were a child? Was you ever offended by a grown person where a grown person actually did you wrong? Have you ever forgotten it? Now you could call that person's name right now. It's, it's very serious for a grown person to mistreat a child. It's very serious. And the Lord said, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now do we do that most of the time? Most of the time we don't do that, do we? When someone sins against us, do we rebuke them? Or do, we, do we go to them and call their attention to what they've done and, and confront them about it and, and, and seek God's answer right then? No. Most, most of the time we get our feelings hurt and we go off and we either pout for days about it or we go off and, and tell other people what this person's done to us. You know, that just makes the problem multiplied worse because false information falls on gullible ears 
and you know all these bad opinions get to thinking about people based on something that maybe had happened maybe didn't when it should have been handled right in God's way uh, <clears throat> And the Lord said, And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. It says, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. They all realized when he said that, that they could not live that. They could not do that. So they asked him to increase their faith. So the Lord said, if you have a faith, have you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, Jesus never did this. He never replanted a tree. And nobody else has ever replanted a tree like that. But what Jesus was getting over, was trying to get over to them is that God is all-powerful and He can do anything. And if He inspires you to do something and you follow His inspiration and speak what He tells you to speak, He can do anything, even transplanting a tree. But, and even with the littlest faith, that can be done. But we have to hear God's voice. We can't do these things on ourselves, by ourselves. Can't do that. And he says, And which of you having a servant plowing in the field or, or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down and eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you shall eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all the things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which was our duty to do. The Lord is reminding them that everything that flows from God to man comes only one way, and that is through grace, by faith, through grace, or by grace through faith. We don't merit anything that we get from God. Never have, never will. But it is a great privilege to stand in God's place where He puts you and do what He has commissioned you to do. It's a great privilege to do that. It says, Now it happened as He went to Jerusalem that He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as He entered a certain village, there met Him ten men who were lepers who stood far off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. Now that's what the law, it's written in the law that when a person is, has an illness, something in the Old Testament, and they, they got healed, they were supposed to go show themselves to the priest and let the priest verify it. And so that's what Jesus told them to do. 
It says, And it was as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. He wasn't even a Jew. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, in this situation, the lepers were a good distance off. And they called on Jesus and he, he hollered back and he said, Go show yourself to the priest. Well, they turned around and they, and they left. <clears throat> and then as one realized that he was cleansed, he turned and he ran back to Jesus and fell on his feet before the Lord. And the Lord said, Your faith has made you well. Now, I, I don't know how familiar we y'all are with leprosy, but leprosy, when it's been on a person a long time, it just eats away the, the, the flesh. If it's been there a long time, it's been on your hands, it just eats the fingers back, eats the fingers off back to the, to the hand. And if it stays longer, it eats the hand off, even up to the wrist and up to the elbow until to the shoulder, it finally kills. It's a slow process. But <clears throat> what I see in this, and the Bible doesn't indicate this, but y'all think about it a little bit. I think the nine that were healed were healed in the stage of the leprosy that they were in. In other words, if they had their fingers ate off up to the second joint, it was just healed there. I think the, the one that came and ran to Jesus and glorified God, his fingers were restored as if he never had leprosy. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. But I believe that that's what happened. Because Jesus said, Your faith has made you whole. There's a difference between being healed and being made whole. If I had a short leg that had been short all my life and I was crippled on it and God extended that leg and made it normal, then that would be made whole, wouldn't it? If he just healed the disease where it was, then I would continue to limp. So, I believe the man was made whole. And because he returned and gave glory to God. It says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, Now before I read this, I want to ask you all, what is the kingdom of God? We're going to go through this again. <clears throat> I asked you the same question in the last two lessons. Somebody should have caught it by now. Elaine? I think it's uh, the kingdom of God is when Jesus comes back to rule. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. But what is the kingdom of God right now? And where is it, where is it in the scriptures that it says that? Wherever Jesus is. Right. Let's go to Romans 14, verse 17. Hmm? Fort, Romans 14, 17. 
We need to get a revelation of this, class. And when God gets the revelation, you won't be having to look it up. It'll be burned into your heart and you'll know it. Somebody read it. Amen. That's what the kingdom of God is. And, you know, the kingdom of God changes. <clears throat> what the kingdom of God is for us right now should be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, when we die and go to be with the Lord, the kingdom of God is going to increase tremendously for us. It's going to be different for us then. But right now, in, in the rotten here and now, it should be righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to bring this up at the next class, and I'm going to see how many of y'all know it. Okay. Every time you pray, ask God to give you a revelation in your heart of what the kingdom of God is for you right now. It says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, Now what do you think their idea of the kingdom of God was? God being king on earth as an earthly king and reigning and ruling and everything. With all the Pharisees right there in sight. That's what their, their idea of the, the kingdom of God was. He said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. When a lost person calls on the Lord and gets truly born again, that's when the kingdom of God comes into that person's life and it becomes real to them. And it does not come with observation. Another person can't see it. The things of God are invisible. In fact, God hides most of His things from unbelievers. He very seldom shows visible signs to unbelievers. He hides His work. He only reveals His things in the Spirit through revelation to His children. And it's not something you can see with your physical eye. He said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So that means right now, doesn't it? Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here, or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. You ever, I know you, all of us have, we've seen the, Large thunderclouds come up where the, where the lightning will strike and it just, it'll just go across that quick, you know. That's, that's how quick the Lord's coming is going to be. <clears throat> he said, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. 
and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, the Lord has given two illustrations here about how it's going to be in the end. He's going to remove His church first. Quicker than you can blink your eye. And then His wrath is going to come. Just like it did back then. Deliverance of the, of the family always comes first. And wrath comes next. Bam, bam. Just like two licks of a sledgehammer. He said that's the way it's going to happen. He said in that day he is on the rooftop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. <clears throat> Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in the night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now that statement right there where it says, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. That really has a double meaning. It has a meaning for the body of Christ. It also has a meaning for the lost that are left and don't go in the rapture. And the, the ones who hate God. Uh, <clears throat> for the Dad and Shirley and I were talking about this yesterday when I went over to meet them. Yeah. Meet them. Yeah. Like when the trumpet sounds, I don't think anybody but Christians will be able to hear that. That's right. And that's what we were talking about. So when Jesus comes back, we're the only ones who are really going to know. Yeah. Everybody else is going to wonder what the heck is going on. Yeah. I think that's so great. We'll hear the trumpet. And They're not even going to know it happened. You know what I? You know what I think? <laughs> I see Jesus riding on a horse going through the through the sky. Well, if he's got a horse that's as fast as lightning, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to need no horse. But uh, you know, that's that's up to him. That's up to him. You know. Uh, if he's got a horse, it ain't nothing like the one that we've got down here. <clears throat> He said, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now, on the Christian side, on the family of God side, it means that wherever the body is, Jesus is the body, there the eagles will be gathered. Now, we'll, the ones that get raptured, we're the eagles, and we will be flocked to Him. But on the Christian, on the, the lost people side, the, the destructive side of it, it's like a dead body laying out in the field and the buzzard's getting on it can be applied either way. And Jesus was talking about the same thing. He was using the same thing to illustrate both sides uh, of humanity. Uh, verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 1 of chapter 18, he says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying there was a certain man, certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me, 
from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's a question that should uh, be in the back of our minds all the time. Am I going to be right with God and ready and tuned up and ready to go when he comes? Or am I going to be so full of cares of this life that, that I won't even, uh, won't even uh, notice it? Uh, that's the thing to, that we should ask ourselves. Uh, you know, there's times when we wonder why God doesn't avenge us when bad things happen to us. You know, we know that wrath belongs to Him, not to us. Why he doesn't? Why he doesn't just kill somebody when they commit murder? You know, it's because he's merciful. If he gave me everything that I deserved all the time, he'd have killed me before I was ten years old. You too, probably. Uh, it's verse nine says he also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, have you ever run into that? Have you ever been that way yourself? I have. <laughs> it used to be my favorite thing to just find fault with other people and talk about it. Any of you been down that road? Yeah. says that they, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. That old fallen nature that each and every one of us has, that is, the, that is the main cardinal characteristic of that old fallen nature is that we, in ourselves and in our fallen nature, we think that we're just pretty good folks. One, one fellow told me one time, he said, you know, I know I've done some bad things, but I ain't never done anything bad enough that God would send me to hell for. That's that's the way lost humanity thinks of that, you know. I, I know I'm not the best, but I'm just as good as them other people over there. Maybe better than some of them, you know. You ever heard that? One fellow told me, he said, you know, I've lived a pretty clean life. I, I really don't think I've ever done anything that God sent me to hell for. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I finally got it over to him that, hey, he, it ain't a matter of what you, it ain't a matter of how good you've been or how bad you've been. It's a matter of whether you have trusted Jesus Christ that He took your sins when He died on the cross. That's that's what matters. That's the only thing that matters, because that's the only thing. That's the only avenue of escape from a fallen nature which we all inherited from our old Grandpa Adam. We all inherited it. Jesus said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. You know, God doesn't hear a self-righteous prayer. 
And when, you, when you're, when you're self-righteous and you've got that kind of a mental attitude, God doesn't even hear you. That's why Jesus said He prayed with Himself. There nobody else involved. He said, God, I thank You that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. You know, I think he was probably praying out loud where maybe the tax collector could hear him. Reckon? He said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here we see a contrast of two different individuals. One thinks he's big shot and righteous because of what he's done. And the other one knows that he's not. And he's just throwing himself at the mercy of the court. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Another place that Bible it says for us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. But it's, it's strictly against that old human nature to humble yourself. To admit that you've been wrong, especially to someone that you've wronged. It's then, then, they, then they brought infants to him, that he might touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Isn't it such a blessing to deal with a little child that's so innocent and not, not of the age of accountability yet, and, and they're just so innocent, you know, and they're not afraid to go naked in front of everybody in this room, you know. They just pull off their clothes and just go around naked in front of everybody and hug everybody, you know. It's it's a joy to to be around little children when they're that that age, you know. Isn't that right? Yeah. And you know the Lord was saying, if if you come to the if you come to me, you got to be willing to to lay it all out and just give up everything that you have confidence in, everything that you trust in, and trust only one thing, and that's what I did for you when I died on that cross. And when you come to that point in your life, when you realize that there ain't nothing that's going to give you stroke before the Lord that you've done, then you're ready to get saved. Until that time, just uh, tread on, you know. See how, see how, like uh, that one guy says, see how that's working for you. He says, Surely I say unto you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. We all have to enter through true repentance and faith in Him. That's the only way. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now he's lying and Jesus knows it. He might think that he has kept them, 
but he hasn't. And the Lord knows the Lord knows him, you know, you can't fool God. We can fool each other, but you can't fool God. He knows everything. He's seen everything. He knows every thought you've ever thought, every deed you've ever done. He knows all your secrets, even the ones you forgot about. He knows them. And, and the Lord knew this guy. He knew that he was rich and he knew that his money meant more to him than anything. So Jesus said, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus said, I want you to lay down the thing that's most important to you. <clears throat> and in his case, that was money. His wealth. And you know, the Lord doesn't mind us having wealth. Not bad to have wealth. But it is bad to worship it. It is bad to, to cling to it and trust in it. Because wealth can leave you right quick. All it takes is just a long, a long progressed deal of bad health. It'll take all your money. Take it all. And even if you've got enough money to buy everything, that money still can't buy your health, can it? Howard Hughes would have given everything he had for good health, but he didn't get it. Because he trusted in his money. It's sad. It said, But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for a person to lay down everything, everything, everything that they have confidence in and put nothing but trust in God. It's hard for old human beings to do that. But God requires it. Everything comes with conditions, you know. Grace is free. You can't buy it. But you have to give up everything that you hold dear in order to have it. Uh, and you know, the Lord doesn't mind us having money. He just minds us worshiping it. He said, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? They was kind of coming down to reality, wasn't they? It said, But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. He wasn't saying that it's impossible for rich people to be saved. He was just saying it's rare. But all things are possible. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Surely I say unto you, There is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not, be, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus was saying, Look, whatever you laid down to follow me, I'll give it back to you more than you laid down further down the road in many ways, in many different ways, I'll give it back to you. What, what Jesus is saying here is that I want all of your heart. I don't want just part of it. I want all of it. If you want all of me, I want all of you. That's what he's saying. I guess that's Texas English. But uh, <clears throat> it says, Then he, said, he took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, 
We are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him, and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the